a bar on a cool winter's evening underneath the stars and we'll find some hello and you're in the cool room uh it's one of your hosts david griffiths here welcoming you to what's going to be the final of our online meet the brewers series for 2020 what a strange weird and kind of magical year it has been here in the cool room i think it's fair to say that when we started out uh in january just having a quiet chat in the front bar of the royal mail hotel in spencer street 519 spencer street uh we would never have anticipated what we were going to be doing as the year rolled on so uh before we go any further down the road i want to do a big big thank you to Everyone who's been part of the cool room experience this year, um, not just my co-hosts and not just all the amazing guests that we've had on, but also all of the, uh, the people who've come and joined us week after week and all those new friendships we've made. Uh, Mickey, Jane, uh, Mark out there all the way in Seaford, Crofty in Sydney, um, it's been a really fun experience uh, for me, and I know everyone who's been involved in the uh, the running of the podcast to sort of have this experience every week. It's kept us a bit sane for those of us that have been in the uh, central bit of Melbourne and have been locked down so long um, to get to experience uh, life in those other parts of the city, other parts of the state, other parts of the world. Uh, it's been a pretty magic experience. So a big thank you to everyone uh, who's come and joined us, who's bought beer from our Shopify shop and has been part of that uh, with us. And um, obviously enough, a big, big thanks from me to everyone who uh, has been a co-host during the year, going back to Damien at the beginning of the year. I'm saying what a, what a different world that looks like. Uh, and to Warren and Travis, who have stepped up not only in being co-hosts, and not only in terms of uh, tasting beers and drinking beers on a Thursday night, but to delivering beers, uh, which was a task that was uh, both fun and thankless at times. So uh, particularly you, Warren, for driving out around the northern and western suburbs with me uh, during the lockdown times. And to Travis, who is not with us in the room at the moment, uh, but who did all the editing of the podcast and is going to edit this podcast and hopefully hears this thank you message at some stage. Uh, Warren has confounded everyone. Uh, normally Warren wanders in at, you know, 7.12 on a uh, Thursday night. 7.12, huh? Like quarter past. A normal way you're at 12 other... seven. <laughs> Not quite. Not quite, but... Not quite. Uh, Excellent to have you in the room, brother. Um, look, just a couple of little housekeeping things before we kick off and you do the intros for the guys. Uh, for anyone who, for no apparent reason, has never been part of the Cool Room Thursday night experience before, whether you're joining us in the Zoom room or whether you're joining us in the podcast later on, uh, this is designed to be enjoyed with our tasting pack of delicious beers from Bridge Road. Uh, it's an eight pack, it's $45, and we're gonna be talking about four of those beers tonight. Jump on the Shopify or jump on uh, Bridge Road's own podcast, or own uh, website, I should say, to order their beers. The four beers we're gonna be talking tonight about are the Beechworth Pale Ale, the Red Sack Fat Man thingy, 
the uh, Christmas Unicorn and the Volume 1 Hazy. Uh, we'll obviously get to those names more as we go along. There's some big beers in there in terms of tastes and alcohol levels. We don't expect anyone to be quaffing them at the rate we're going to be talking about them. So if you're in the Zoom room with us, feel free to make yourself a little tasting pack or share them with other members of the household. Uh, and if you're doing the podcast version, feel free to pause after each of the beers that we talk about, enjoy the beer and savour the flavours, and we'll let you know when we're about to move on from one beer to another. Uh, make the most of the experience and, and drink responsibly. Um, got to say a big thank you to uh, everyone who's joined us on the social medias through the year. Uh, through things like Facebook and Instagram, you can find out not only about the rare and fun beers that we have kicking around both on the podcast and on the Shopify, uh, but just a great way to stay in touch so that you always have the right beers in front of you when we're getting together on a Thursday night. Um, normally, I would be previewing the uh, future podcasts that we'd be having in terms of Thursday nights. We're going to have a break for a couple of weeks, uh, but that doesn't mean you can get away from us completely. Uh, we're going to be gathering together at the Royal Mail on New Year's Eve, and we've got some really fun beers, uh, which anyone who's following us on social media would have seen. Uh, we've got four barrel-aged Sierra Nevada releases, which are pretty amazing and very much uh, for cool room friends to come and enjoy. Uh, we've announced that the Dankful from Sierra Nevada is going to be available that night. Uh, we'll be going to be kicking some money from that over into some charities uh, and just say thank you to you know, everyone who's been a part of the cool room experience by gathering together on that New Year's Eve. Um, Rightio, Mr Warren, I reckon that's enough from me for the moment. Why don't you introduce the team and let's kick over into the first of the beers we're going to have tonight and we'll go from there. Good evening, David, and welcome to the Bridge Road, guys. We are lucky enough to have three of the heavy hitters from Bridge Road, which is awesome. Uh, we have Toby, who is one of, the, one of the people on the road for Bridge Road. Uh, we've got James, who's the or Jimmy, who's who's the brewer down there. And we are lucky enough to also have uh, Ben, who is currently, Ben, the owner, who is currently stuck in lockdown in Adelaide, which is which is amazing. Is, you're our very first lockdown guest. Mm. So, um, yeah, terrific. Bridge Road, Bridge Road, everyone, I'm pretty sure everyone in this room definitely knows who Bridge Road are. They've been part of the, the one of the, feels like one of the original members of the craft beer scene in, in Australia. Uh, ben, we might start with you for, for I suppose it's our international guest that I'm thinking about. Give us a rundown of, 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 the, um, of the history of Bridge Road and, and, the, and the origins. How, how long do you want me to talk for? <laughs> Too long. Um, so Bridge Road Brewers is in Beechworth, which is in, located in the northeast of Victoria, which is the southeast state in Australia, if you're talking to international. Um, I'm confused already. Yeah, somewhere down in the in the bottom corner of Australia, if you're looking at a map, um, we're we're in a the brewery's located in uh, my hometown, um, which is a small regional town, 300 kilometres north of Melbourne, with a population that always varies on whoever you're talking to, but somewhere between three and four thousand people. Um, 
the brewery was founded by myself and my wife, Maria, um, back in 2005. Um, so not the original craft brewers in, in Australia, but uh, uh, quite early in the scheme of things. Um, we, uh, what are we, 16, coming up, up to our 16th birthday. Mm. Um, we started the brewery uh, on a pretty tight budget uh, with a 10 heck system uh, in my parents' garage and, and the brewery is grown to um, a larger scale brewery with Jimmy heading up as head brewer um, at the moment, uh, having usually four four brewers underneath him. Um, I think we're back to about that now. And then a packaging team as well. And we enjoy national distribution um, with to- guys like Toby and the team. Um, I say national, I should say East Coast and South Australian distribution, um, distributing the beer through national liquor chains and, and through small bars and small bottle shops. Um, the story's long and interesting, but I don't know how long the, the podcast is. So I'll just give a brief, brief, uh, brief yeah, overview just, so we can get into the beer. Is there anything, anything specific um, you'd like to hear from me? Tell us, I, I, Bridge, well, it's Beechworth's named after the town. So let's, let's, uh, Let's have a chat about Beechworth itself. So tell us, it's, it's, they're almost synonymously put together. It's, it's, yeah, but the town itself? The town or the beer? Oh, the town. Let's have a little bit of history of the town. It feels like they're so well connected. Yeah, so uh, Beechworth's um, an old gold mining town. Um, So it's, uh, it has had a lot of, a lot of money back in the day um, and enjoyed, some, I guess, some grand buildings and construction uh, from the early 1900s. With I think gold was was discovered in 1860 something, um, which is pretty early uh, for for a regional town in Australia. The brewery, I guess, has something to do with the town, but it's a much more modern take on on what what Beechworth is. You know, we saw mm. um, before I started the brewery. Um, Wine began to boom in the area. It's Chardonnay from Beechworth, known Australia-wide. Um, I worked in wine before I got into beer, um, travelled a lot and and sort of tried to create a, a product that, I, I guess not a product that represents the town, but a product that represented the brewery, fitted in with the town and also fitted in as a product we could sell, not only locally uh, in our region, but also nationally as well. Um, I guess starting out with something that resembled an American pale ale, which was something new and, and, and not unique, but, but new and quite different on the back of things like Little Creatures Pale Ale back in 2005. Mm. And the beer definitely has evolved a great deal from, from 2005 when we were first making it, from malt and hops and, and fermentation and everything. We're, we're always changing. I think that's a... That's a interesting point to kick off a conversation about the pale ale it it still feels quite similar to how i remember and it's been it's been a part of beer drinkers like craft beers people's um uh kind of regular list for a long long time tell us about the changes well like what has driven a lot of the changes is it availability is it the the of, of hops for example um have you been moving with taste um i think moving moving with a few things process um 
definitely a, our first lesson in in creating a, a paleo was finding out after a year that um, that the quality of hops changed heavily from season to season. So the original paleo was made with a US hop variety called Crystal, which isn't well known. Um, first iterations were were very heavy melons and stone fruit and a really sort of lush, broad hop profile. Um, then we found that the the um, the next year's hops came to us and we ended up with a generic, I guess, something more like Cascade, but citrus and green and flavours we weren't that into. Um, so that was a quick lesson in do not make a single hop pale ale if you're going to make it a, a core beer that, that you want to have around for a long time. So from there we moved to... to um, to around, I think, initially three or four hop varieties, just giving us the option to to be able to substitute a, a hop if uh, if something ran out, like if, if supply was unavailable or if we saw a big change from season to season. It's easier to tweak a recipe that has four or five hops in it than it is a recipe that has only one or, or two hop varietals in it. Um, the malt, malt uh, profile is... is uh, less crystal malt than originally. Um, I guess brewing techniques has probably made the beer a little bit drier than it used to be as well. Um, Jimmy can probably talk more about, about that. Um, we, we did have a period where, where the beer was finishing probably a little bit drier than it is now. James, when, when I think of SG, I think we had a period where we were 1.005 and now we're a couple points higher than that on average. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Moved it up a little bit. And I think also um, with some slight malt changes and also some changes in dry hop, dry hop technique, um, as in timing, timing of the dry hop also adds a bit of uh, hop sweetness and body to the beer. Um, so I think I've been here four years now. In the time I've been here, we've made some small, some small changes to both the, the malt and the hops. And I think it, I don't know, in as far as the market goes, we're still more multi than a lot, but dropped back, like gone a lot less heavy on those crystal malts and um, up that malt profile. Ah, sorry, the hot profile. You um, and and in terms of I was going to say and and in terms of the volume um, of what you guys are, are doing with uh, compared to your other. Uh, Compared to your other um, core range beers, is it one of the ones which are, which is, yeah, your best sellers? Does it does a real does a carrier? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, is it? Yeah, how important is it to that core range? I suppose is the is the question there. Jimmy probably uh, not the answer. I, I would guess it's 40, 40 to fifty percent of all the beer we make, not just uh, not just core range. Is that right, James? Is that where it's? Yeah, I can't. I can't remember the exact number, um, but yeah, it's up close to that fifty percent. Yeah, and if you think of how many beers Bridge Road puts out in a year, regardless yeah. if it's core or limited, that's uh, that's pretty incredible. That's that's the main, more than the main I theme. Yeah, which is fantastic. That's that's yeah, that's quite remarkable. Um, it. And I thought I might, while we're onto the subject of core range and, and discussing that, uh, considerations of what your core range, it's, it's kind of, that, that in itself has evolved a little bit over the journey, um, of what you guys uh, have constantly out in the market. Um, what, what are your thoughts when it comes to beers reflecting 
uh, Bridge Road. I'm sorry. Yeah, Bridge Road. Um, yeah, we we have a broad core range, and it, and it's it's a it's dictated a little bit by um, you know the the brewery has a a, a busy and strong um, tap room in Beechworth. Um, so we, we always want to be able to offer and, and fill different varieties in our tap room. It's exclusively Bridge Road beer. Um, so we're, we're looking that when a visitor comes to visit us in Beechworth, that there's a broad spectrum of beers. So anything from, from a hop bomb to a sour to something that's barrel aged um, or something that's more traditional and malty like Celtic Red Ale or, or our Robust Porter, which is probably not a traditional porter at all, but um, but something that's really different. So there's a there's a there's a bit of push and pull on that core range. We we need to warrant when we make a batch of beer, it's 2,500 liters of beer, so we need to be able to sell 2,500 liters of that beer um, in a good amount of time, rather than having it sit around for a long time. Um, so yeah, there's a I think we've seen a fair bit of change. We just I mentioned before, there's a new core range beer just uh, announced. 30 minutes ago or so, uh, a <laughs> lager that's, uh, that's going to be part of the core range. Um, but, but some of those core range beers have been around for a long, long time and they have a small but strong following. Celtic Red Ale is a really good example. Robust Porter is probably a bit more uh, well-known. Um, and then Bling and Little Bling in the, in the family, of, as well as the Saison. We've got heaps of beers. Yeah. <laughs> As as someone who's tried to get into the Bridge Road uh, into the Bridge Road tap room during summer uh, and failed miserably a couple of times, uh, how much does the tap room dictate your range? I mean, we've had a couple of, of brew pubs. Um, we've ooh, we've had a couple of um, of uh, brewery pubs uh, join us throughout the throughout the year. And it's interesting to see the variation and, and, and how much a, a, a uh, tap room has an effect. And you guys are much, obviously, are a brand that's much broader than just simply your tap room. But do you still, does, uh, you, you touched a little bit there on how it affects your range. Is that, is in the, in the greater scheme of things, how, what weights do you put on your tap room? Jimmy, I'll let I'll let Jimmy answer that one. But first, I should say when you couldn't get in the first time, uh, and you didn't make a, a reservation for the second time, Warren. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But I hand over to Jimmy. That that's totally yeah. That's a fair call. That's a fair call. And I was I was actually down there for wine and didn't stupidly didn't consider Bridge Road would be <laughs> one of the top visits as well. Um, learned from my mistake though. James, yeah, like, how do you do you actually get out there in the tap room? And uh, Jimmy, do you get out there in the tap room and have a chat to to people? Ooh, good. James or Jimmy, I'm not sure what name he prefers. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jimmy, you you've got no uh, your mic's working for a second. It's not on you. How's that? Oh, there perfect. Yeah, back again. Cool. Um, yeah, we get feedback from, from the venue, from the staff, from the venue manager. Um, as far as dictating what we do, I guess it's the same as the same as all the feedback we get from the sales staff and the marketing and national sales manager, all that sort of stuff. Volume-wise in the venue, it's, it's nothing, um, nothing compared to what we do wholesale. Um, but 
it is a good place to get that feedback. Um, we've got 20 different or 20 taps in the venue and we try to have a different beer on every one. At the moment, we're just trying to generate a tap for experimentals. So it's a good place to do small batches and, and just get people's feedback on, on what they like and what we should be doing and, um, yeah, what the market thinks. Now, Warren has stolen some of my questions from the next segment. One of them. Um, so in that vein, I'm going to steal one of yours, mate. We'll see how we go in the other. <laughs> um, obviously, there's a lot of pails going around in the market. Mm. Um, why should people drink this one? What do you think is distinctive about this? And, uh, and I guess, you know, Toby's been there hiding in the background as well as the beer rep. Um, but genuinely, when you when you are walking into a pub or a place that you're trying to sell a beer to, how do you explain why this beer is one that people should be tasting or selling? Uh, you know, in a in a very crowded marketplace for this kind of beer. Well, yeah, that's a good question. I think the first one is to get them to drink it. I think that's the easiest thing in my job to sell beer is to get them to try it. And if you get people to try a beer, more often than not, they're going to enjoy it. And, and the reason is is the ingredients and the quality that we we put a focus on at the brewery. Um, that's one of the reasons I, I, I wanted to work for Bridge Road and was thrilled when I got the chance to, to join the team is that, you know, I know that the, the Bridge Road brews, when they brew a beer, they're trying to make the best beer they can using the best ingredients they can. Um, and I think that shines through with the Beachy Palau. Um, it's just, just a great product. Um, I've been in Australia for about oof, 10 years now and I remember... I still remember drinking my first beach with Pan out about nine years ago. And, and, and it was a bit of a revelation. I was sort of getting into craft, uh, discovering some American Pan Owls and, and that kind of style of beer. And it was, it was one that really grabbed me and I thought it was a great beer. Um, so yeah, getting people to try it is the first one. There's the history. Um, the fact that it has been around for, for longer than most breweries been around in Australia um, is definitely a, a selling point as well. Um, and then in Melbourne, a lot of people have visited the brewery. So that's also a real, you know, added sort of bonus to me is there's connection to the brewery. Um, so people, when you walk in, they know the beer already. Um, a lot of them have tried it before and are keen to try it again. So all those reasons, I'd say. Where were you when you had that first uh, Bridge Road beer? <laughs> I was in St Kilda at a little, there was a little sort of American themed bar, um, little, like just across the road from where I was living. And uh, I walked in there randomly and they were doing a little bit of independent craft stuff, uh, probably, yeah, eight, nine years ago. And, uh, and it became a regular for that reason. And, and Ben, did you have to drive all that stock in at the time? Or, you know, how would that beer have got to Toby's hands? And were you impressed when he said that exact same thing in his job interview? Or? <laughs> um, the, not eight or nine years ago, I wouldn't have driven it. If it was uh, 14, 15, 14, 13 years ago, I would have probably delivered it. Which bar was it, Toby? So it, was, uh, it was a bar called Joe's in St Kilda. Uh-huh. It had been revamped from Greasy Joe's and you had Matt Sterling yeah. there. And, uh, and uh, yeah, a few, few taps, good whiskey list, a great little place. And uh, no, that would have been uh, John Cope Williams selling beer to there back then. Um, so, no, uh, initially, uh, 15 years ago, I would have been taking the youth down and dropping off uh, pallets and, and kegs. Uh, but, but, yeah, that's been a, a long time ago. What was the second part of the question? Oh, Toby's, uh, Toby's uh, claim... Yeah. Uh, falling in love with Beach Road. I don't know, he's a salesman, so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For me, it's been, for those who don't know, I've been um, in Austria until uh, a week ago for 
for about 18 months. So I, I did come back to Australia in November, um, whatever it was, pre-COVID. Um, and uh, and it's been a long time since I've been able to really enjoy a, a Beechworth Pale. So coming back and, and being able to enjoy it, it reminds me of, of why it's such a good beer. For me, I, I've been in, I see a bit of uh, hype building in Australia around lagers and pilsners and, um, and sort of older styles of beer. Um, We're part of that. Just one second, sorry. <laughs> so while Ben removes his earpiece and uh, deals with whatever uh, back situation back. has to Sorry. Quite exciting sorry, for us. That's all right. We can cut that out. That's pretty easy. Oh, no, we can. We can. I, I actually quite love <laughs> the idea. This is the first time we've actually had someone... My, my wife was trying to drink the next, the next beer and I said, just wait a minute with... Uh, she was back. No. You've been off in Innsbruck, is that right? So, pardon? You've been off in Innsbruck? Yeah, uh, around near Innsbruck. That's like saying Beechworth near Melbourne, but that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, I love that part of it because it's the first part where you actually get good coffee because of the Italian sort of influence. And good yeah, no, that's not true. The, the coffee in Innsbruck is, uh, is I've, I've moved a lot to find good coffee in, in Innsbruck and there might be one place. Um, you, Maybe I just had really, really actually, bad coffee in Germany for a cup. Yeah, month. exactly. Yeah. You actually have to go the 40 kilometres to the border and then you get good coffee. I, I shit you not, we would, uh, a good friend of mine lives in Innsbruck and we'd go mountain biking uh, over the border in Italy and we would stop on the highway as soon as we crossed the border and go to the petrol station to get a coffee. And it, it, the, the difference in the coffee on one side of the border and the other side of the border is, is night and day. And who would have thought you'd go to a petrol station to get a coffee? But in Italy, there's great coffee in the petrol station. That's the whole reason to stop there. So, so tell us in five years' time when we can get back to Australia, us Australians, yes, uh, and and share our kangaroos with Austria, which I know they're passionately against. Um, what are your favourite little microbreweries and places over there? I know you've sort of worked and lived in that part of the world. Yeah, yeah. I just I just finished uh, three months brewing. Um, getting back to brewing at a, at a small brewery uh, down the road from where I lived, a brewery called Beckler Brewery. No one will remember that. Um, making a, a, a beer that's somewhere between a Colch and a Hellas, I guess, is still a, using a, a, an ale yeast. Um, so that, that was an interesting project and the beer is probably worth checking out. And, and there was a great um, microbrewery that we've done too, Bridge Roads, collaborated with twice, called Birol instead of Tyrol. Um, mm. With a fantastic restaurant and really progressive beers, so um, that's probably the number one. It was close enough to me, an hour and a half away, but probably the the number one craft brewery in all of Austria for me. Um, but I got sidetracked. I was I was going to say how having Beechworth Pale when I got back and not having access to beers that were were that well constructed really reminded me, you know, what's so good about Beechworth Pale? Oh, the aromatics are super strong. Um, there are other beers in Australia that are probably better known for aromatics and, and hop profile. But for me, the, the structure of the beer, particularly on the back palate and the balance of bitterness and, and malt, and it's not sweet at all because the beer is very dry. But there's a, there's a really solid balance when I drink that beer. When I get the aroma, I get a, a broad mouthfeel and then a, a length of flavour that, that isn't cloying and it's not bitter. Um, everything balances out and and for me you know 
when, as Toby says, when you get someone to drink it. I think if it goes on tap at a pub, it's not a, it's not a hazy hop bomb. It's not a, um, a watery XPA. It's a beer that has body and flavor and you can keep drinking it all night. So it really, for me, it sort of treads that line. If you can give it to someone who's new to craft and they might find it a little bit confronting because it's, it's bigger, but it's not, it's not going to push them away from craft beer. And similarly, I think you could give it to someone who really is into craft beer, as long as they're not into booze bombs and hop bombs, um, which we'll have later with the need. If, as long as that's not their bread and butter, I mean, there's not much not to like about it. Like, it should put a smile on your face when you get a pint of Beechworth Taylor. And you should want to buy another one, is, is my thing. So I had a got home and got to enjoy that beer again. So I'd just like to point out that it's 7.07 and Travis Bristos is uh, joining us. So it's a complete role reversal from normally Travis being in the room and uh, Warren arriving late. Uh, Travis is out there somewhere. I keep on trying to mute him and he keeps on unmuting himself as he walks past tattoo parlours in... Oh, no God knows where. where. Yeah, who knows where he is. Hey, you can edit that bit out too. <laughs> Um, why don't you push on uh, my good friend Warren Wu into the beginnings of the discussion about the Fat Man Red Suit Big Sack. So if you're sitting at home and waiting for our transition from one beer to another, now seems like a good time to do that. Um, grab 20 seconds or so and I'll just sort of cover off on that and just remind people to come down to the Royal Mail and Spencer, 519 Spencer Street, West Melbourne, uh, on New Year's Eve to experience some of these great beers and just looking at Travis walking around or sitting down now in Port Melbourne, Bay Street or something, or am I completely wrong? No, Travis is shaking his head. It could be bloody Darwin for all I know. <laughs> uh, and he apparently can hear me, which is both good and disturbing. And, but the way his camera keeps on moving around, I feel like I'm going to lose my lunch. So, and on that note, a big shout out to James, uh, who's now over in Wellington, who did exactly the same thing with his camera early on tonight and uh, made me feel crook in the guts. So, uh, I think now most people have the uh, Fat Man Red Suit Big Sack. I've said it right twice, yeah. I think, and I'm not going to say it right for the rest of it. Pardon me the rest of the night because I love saying it wrong. Uh, who wants it? Why don't we, Toby? I was, I was going to ask Toby, is there a cult following for these? Do you feel like there's people who, who will come in year in, year out trying to trying to get their hands as much as they can? Like, you know, different, different outlets and... Yeah, 100%. The two Christmas beers, this and the one we drink next, the, uh, the Magical Christmas Unicorn. I get more people chasing this beer than almost any other beer that we make. Um, just you know, the 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 phone calls start in July, and <laughs> and uh, and yeah, it's it's always uh, it's always great to get it out and, and get it into people's hands. Um, I think the fact that it's you know it's a Christmas beer and it's also tied into some great memories around Christmas as well makes it like a really nostalgic like like awesome beer that people it's, want to get in again. It's it in itself is a really great beer. Like it's a delicious beer. Is there? In the market, is there is there a, a little bit of a feeling that that it's not as serious as does the name and the and the style kind of you know, make make people think it's not as serious and as as tasty as it it actually is? Is there possibly? But I mean, there's going to be fun. 
Like it's better yep. being about an experience about enjoying yourself. And I think, you know, this is, it's a fun beer it, and it's a really good beer as you say as well. So why can't it be both? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I love the way you phrase it because I, I was trying to type that question in a way, in a nice way all afternoon because this is one of my favourite beers of the year. Mm. And, you know, I know that sometimes I get serious beer drinkers in at the pub and they look at the name and go, oh, no, why would we have that? Because it is a fantastic beer. Toby, do you ever sort of have that sort of, you know, when you're trying to sell a great beer, that tension between making people taste it and the naming and the branding. We we love these sort of branding conversations here on the podcast about labels and stuff like that. Is it is it easy to sell this beer just because of its reputation or is it I, th- I think it's easier. I think, you know, as I said, I think most people get that it's it's just a, it's a Christmas product and, and the name's meant to be fun. They make great presents. You know, if you've got an uncle that likes craft beer, it's 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 a great present for them. Like it's it, it's they're an easy sell. Um, around Christmas time, like breweries, uh, bottle shops and, and bars are reaching out for these beers. Um, and, and, you know, most people, you know, very, one or two people might not drink it because they don't think it's a serious beer, but mm. Bridge Road as, as a brewery is known for making good beers, so you'd be crazy not to give it a go just because of the name. I think probably more people try it because of the name than don't try it because of the name, if that Ooh. makes sense. Um... Toby, we'll we'll nail you for a few questions for a few questions since you got it pretty easy in the first beer. Um, would you like to give us uh, tell us a bit about the beer and the flavors we should be experiencing and and yeah, it's tell us about about what we should be looking for when we're tasting this. Uh, yeah, totally. So I mean, it's it, it's a big beer to start with, seven and a half percent, but very much as Ben talked about with the pale ale, there's, there's balance that's really important in this beer. Um, it, it's kind of everything is dialed up for me. So it's, it's obviously a, a, lot of, a lot of hops. I mean, J- Jimmy will be able to tell you exactly what hops. I'm pretty sure there's some Galaxy in there uh, and something else. Jimmy, help me. Um, but then, and obviously some really rich, like to- toffee and caramel flavors coming from the malt as well. So you've got the fruitiness from the hops and, and some toffee and caramel from the malts. And they just play really well together. Um, I love red IPAs. It's one of my favorite style of beer because I just, I like malt character and I like hot character and I'm like, why not have both? Um, and I know a lot of people love red IPAs. Um, they, some people find them tricky because there is a lot going on, but um, mm. a lot of people really enjoy the style. Yeah, Jimmy, what, what uh, helped Toby out with the hops which are in this, this beer? <laughs> um, so we've got three of the, oh, hang on a sec. They're all, all Australian, I'm pretty sure. I'm just just repeating myself because I'm on uh, both the phone and the computer. One for video and one for audio. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I've got three of the <laughs> three big hitters from New World Aussie Hops, Galaxy Enigma and Big Secret. Um, and then we did change up the recipe a little bit this year to try and... It's always been a big, multi, um, hoppy sort of bit of, um, you know, a really big boozy beer um, and to try and follow some of the more modern trends in IPAs, but also keep the beer um, true to its roots. So we, we wanted to keep it red, but we dropped a lot of the crystal malts out and used some other some other red malts to try and keep that, that bright red colour, but not have it too cloying and um, too, yeah, too crystally. That mm. makes sense to most people. Um, and also move a lot of the hops from early on to later in the process. So we've got 
um, bigger aromas, tropical fruits, um, that sort of thing, and really drop drop the IBU on the beer. Um, yeah, just try and make it more of a more of a crowd pleaser, I guess, and follow those modern trends. Um, and something else I was going to touch on, both with the pale and then it comes to this beer, something that Toby mentioned is quality um, and also balance. So they're two things that we're always always striving for at Bridge Road. Um, and using the pale as an example, we've got seven different hops in there and every single one's chosen for a reason, chosen at a certain quantity, put in at a certain time for a certain reason to try and create that balance. Most people might not recognize why they like a certain beer, same with Fat Man, why it's better than another or why they like it more than another red ale or another IPA. But um, we spend a, a lot of time um, tasting and doing sensory and choosing things for a certain reason. Um, and what was the other one? I said quality. So I've made a lot of different beers at Bridge Road and I've made a lot of suggestions and put a lot of different things forward. And one thing that's never, ever, ever been questioned is cost. So it's always, why do you want to use it? Quality, um, why does it make the beer better? And there's never, if, if there's a good reason why it makes a beer better, then price is never questioned. So I think that's really important as for the quality of the beers that we're making. Um, you know, pretty much if it makes it better, use it. I think that's a really awesome, I mean, to have that, you know, the confidence of the owner, you know, it's you know, a bit like, you know, the, the club has faith in the coach, but they clearly do, so don't take that in a bad way. It's, um, so with Ben overseas for 18 months, have you got to do a few things that you wouldn't have got to do, <laughs> you know, if he was in the country sort of looking over your shoulder? Did you sort of come back in and report, uh, oh, guess what, I've, I've decided to do this. And um, I'm the bloke who's now in, you know, on the shop floor being able to do these things or did you collaborate all through the year in this bizarre year that we've had? Well, he hasn't, he hasn't come back and seen what I've changed yet, so you've <laughs> just fucked it up for me. By the looks of it, there's going to be Christmas trees on every wall, from what I can say. Yeah. No, I mean, honestly, you know, Ben's... Yeah, I mean, I really appreciate the confidence that he's got in me, but I also know what he does and doesn't want to know about. So, you know, I would never, never, ever change anything in one of the core beers or, you know, one of those beers we're making or even these Christmas beers without at least talking to him about it. Um, and it's good to know, even even though he can't taste them, I can, you know, he respects my opinion enough if I say it tastes like this and this is why we want to change it, he can say maybe, you know, yes, maybe not, maybe do this a little bit differently. Um, you know, it's, we've got technology, so we can still talk to each other and um, so you say, on you, things. So this beer hasn't changed and yet this beer has changed, hasn't it? <laughs> no, this beer, this beer has changed. Ah, and, it's and changed has, a lot, yeah. And has Ben had one yet? Has he realised this is one of the most beautiful licorice flavoured, but oh no, he's got to be. <laughs> so tell us about the changes that you've made um, hmm. here and, and why. And like I remember we had the we had this on tap at the Royal Mail last year, so it is different. It's a little bit sort of drier and fresher in a good way for me. But um, yep. tell us why you've changed it a bit. 
Um, I mean, honestly, this this change has been mostly come from Ben as well. So we talked about it without Ben first. So we we don't really we never make any changes without the you know sort of a discussion within the whole business. So you've got sales and get like I was saying earlier, you get that feedback from sales and marketing. And we met met about the Christmas beers coming up and thought about some some improvements or you know just some changes to make to maybe make it a bit more appealing or maybe get some more people in other than those um those dedicated followers that go and buy this beer every single year you know they go they just want it they go and get it so to try and entice some more people um we came up with some pretty big crazy changes and some not so crazy changes and you know ben we talked to him and decided to keep it keep it along the same lines but just just make those small tweaks to try and try and suit it to to the modern market, I guess. So like I was saying earlier, drop that bitterness and um, put a few more hops in there, make it a bit more aromatically pleasing for those those big IPAs that we get used to today. Um, maybe make it a bit more sessionable for the for today's palate. Um, you know, you think what do we have to do to make it say hormone beer? Because I love this style of beer. Like yeah. Sorry, I missed the start of that question. What do we have to do to make this a core range beer? Because I love this stuff. <laughs> and it's very hard to sort of get. You know, you know, core put range. it on put it on two taps all year round. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can do it. <laughs> One might be at Crofty's house up in Sydney, but we'll, we'll make that happen. We've been uh, knocking it, so we've asking a few bits and sort of questions but about you know the good things you're doing up in Beechworth and so forth but you've um you've also done the online thing the posse uh toby or i don't know ben who, who wants to speak about the posse and um how to make that you know a reality in people's lives where do they have to go online how do they do their social medias to make sure they don't miss out on anything that's going to be happening on posse land <laughs> I think I'm taking a nubby, Sam. Um, so the Posse's our, our um, sort of direct brewery to consume a beer club. So um, I don't know how long it's been around for. Everything gets muddled up. I think I think we claim 10 or 11 years we've had the beer club. Um, so it's it's a, a subscription. Um, people get beers sent to them every two or, or three months. It's pretty common now. I think um, COVID time saw lots of brewers pivot and look towards more online sales channels and, and beer clubs were one of those. Um, so we're seeing more and more of them in the market at the moment, like the pack that gets sent out for the podcast, I guess. Um, the And the I guess the core difference for, for what we do is every quarter we make a beer exclusively directed at the, at the posse. So James and the team have to come up with something um, winter... Uh, autumn, winter, spring, and summer, um, and and release a beer. There might be some kegs in the market of that beer, but generally the 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 package beer, normally in a bottle, um, is sort of something that we try to create that that group of people gets that other people would would otherwise not get. And the pack is populated with core range beers and limited release beers at the time. Um, I'm, I'm I had the last uh, posse release, Jimmy. Um, I know there's there's one in the cards now, but there was a um, session session IPA um, non non hazy that was the last release, and the one before that was a, a hazy IPA, I think, or a hazy double. DDH, DDH hazy. 
Yeah. yeah. And then and then the most recent one was, as you said, a session IPA, four and a half percent, and used a few uh, new world new world hops or you know different hops that Fridge Road doesn't normally use. So um, we what we do is Zaka Equinot and oh, and Galaxy as well, um, and just made a really you know quite a vibrant, fruity, sort of sessionable beer. Um, we try and suit them suit them to the season. So that was marketed as, you know, smashing a six pack at a barbecue as opposed to the one before that was, oh, you know, overtly hoppy and thick and um, maybe maybe one or two and you'll be lying on the floor. And getting to play with those hops for the first time was there, or was that the first time in the Bridge Road context? Was there one that stood out to you or something you'd like to try and convince Ben, you know, to buy a bit more of that sort of expensive hop that he keeps on going, no, we can't do it. And you kept on going, no, it's quality. It's important. <laughs> um, as I said, price has never been questioned, but um, <laughs> it is a good opportunity to use, use a combination of hops, which I have, you know, I have used them. I have used them before. I've used them at other breweries. Um, or use them in other experimental beers of my own, but to get them and combine them and sort of be able to show people something a bit different and something to to look forward to in the future. So that goes out to the posse. And then when we're talking about maybe, which we'll talk about soon, one of the upcoming need beers, we can say, you know, remember how those two, those two hops work together, how, you know, how we can use them and um, demonstrate to people how it works. What are your favourite couple of hops kicking around at the moment? Like, you know, apart from the very obvious sort of, you know, mainstay, you know, underpinning hops. You know, are you excited by some hops at the moment? Pride of Ringwood's his favourite. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I don't know. Other than, other than the big obvious ones, nothing, nothing that comes to mind. I think um, what I what I enjoy most is using them in combination with other hops if that makes sense so um you know when we when we made the first first volume of need sabro has been all the rage lately but to use that in a certain ratio with the combination of other hops that people don't use it with and show show how it can work in a different way not just as a you know a big punch in the face of coconut you know you can you can use it as a complementary hop not as a single hop or the main hop in that beer what about you, Ben? Are there, are there hops that you wish were used more at the brewery and you sort of want to use this as an opportunity to tell, you know, Jimmy, mate, uh, you know, less Sabro, more... Uh, Eclipse. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you're, you're underestimating our communication skills. Um, <laughs> we'd, we'd certainly uh, we'd communicate often enough to, 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 um, to do that. Uh, that I... I probably the only one I think maybe we don't agree on. I, I was telling Jimmy how much of a fan of Citra I was, and I think Jimmy, you're not a fan of Citra. Is that is that right? No, that's no. I like it. Maybe I didn't use it as much as you wanted. <laughs> we're, we're not. We're not. We're not trying to cause problems. <laughs> yeah. So we've got a lot of people at home brewers and stuff who love to hear. Probably, probably no, the, the thing I've, I would call out about hops is we like there's there is a pull to use the new world hops and 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 go with trends. I think sometimes just like craft beer in in general that 
that really good hop hop varieties have forgotten too quickly. Um, there's some really solid, you know, hop varieties that, that are still as good as the day they're released, but they're not as new. And that goes just the same for Beechworth Pale Ale. It's not new and and shiny. So um, so I'll go buy the someone's hazy pale, and it, and it you know it might not be as good, but it's more interesting because it's new. And I think that that happens with um, with hops as well. And there's some some hops that probably released in the last five or six years that, that got forgotten about um, too soon as everyone sort of strives for, for what's being DDH'd in the, in the latest hazy release or something along those lines. Um, but for us, I think also we, we try to, to champion Aussie hops. We're, we're Beach located right near where Galaxy was commercially developed. Um, Enigma's not grown there because it doesn't handle the, the climate properly. Um, Vic Secret is grown there. Um, the new 016 is, what's it called, Eclipse? Um, that, you know, we endeavour to use those hops, but it is hard to brew with those hops. They're, they're not as, I find them not as great once they touch the hops, the hot side. So you're really stuck with using them more in, um, in fermentation and, and dry hopping and unable to, to use them in all other areas. So, yeah, there is a preference to use local when we can. We think that makes sense. People want to buy local beer, so um, but they don't necessarily show that much interest in buying local beer that's made with local hops. It's it's more local and and what's new and interesting, and that's often what's coming out of out of the states, really. Um, well, it, it probably while we're thinking about moving on to the next beer, we might have a break before that. But a, a question, Ben. Uh, have you seen anything well, like the, uh, it came up because I was thinking about hop development in Australia and how the, we've, we're really doing quite well with new world hops. Is there, is there stuff over in Europe that you've seen while you've been over there that, that they do a lot better than we do or something new that, that's, that's developing in, in Europe that you, you haven't seen before? Uh, you know, in the realm we're talking about, like this crafty... Um, you know, new world uh, beer varieties. I, I think Austria and even Germany really, really are probably in catch-up mode from from that sort of thing. I don't think they're showing us much that we don't already know. America's continues continues to lead the way. Scandinavia seems to seems to do some really great things, but but generally that's um, really aligned with what's happening in the states and and what's going on there. There are some some good hop varieties. We do, we use some of them um, in a beer. Called Euro Hazy, Hazy Euro, Euro Haze. Um, when I came back last November, um, I, just, I mentioned I was brewing at a brewery in Austria, that new startup before I left, um, and I trialled. Uh, I did um, different batches using Bavaria Mandarina, um, Huel Malone, and uh, and Ariana was the other the other hop. Um, so they're all really interesting. Um, very mild, so they 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 have a subtle influence um, along the lines of anyone that's into Australian hops. There was a hop variety called Summer, so they sort of sat in that realm, and that hop um, got cut. And I feel it had some great flavours, but the dosing rates that were need needed for people to obviously taste and feel those flavours um, really really meant that you had to use twice as much, and the price was the same. So I'm going to mute because uh, quarantine uh, meltdowns happening behind me. 
It's all right. Warren and I do quarantine meltdown. We've done. We've, it's part of our niggling shtick that we've done. Yeah. The last year, but we do quite good. We do quite well with that shtick, don't we? We do. We do. Only because it's agreed beforehand who's melting down when. Oh yeah. Speaking of melting down, what do you reckon, Warren? We'll have a four or five minute little break for people yep. to uh, have a little bathroom break and uh, recharge their glasses and make sure that they have the magical Christmas unicorn and the uh the knee is that how you pronounce it you know toby how would you like us to mark up this beer for you man so knee volume one but knee it's volume um, one i'll tell the story when we get to the beer but um yeah it's uh knee volume one Warren Wu, uh, you are going to give instructions to our listeners about how to shake and bake this beer. Yeah, I will in just a moment. Will we just, people with uh, good microphones, we just heard Toby uh, cracking his one. And um, yeah, beer hasn't annihilated his living room. So yeah, well done. Uh, as, as we were just talking about before we got back on a recording, uh, the secret to a, a nitro cad beer is to shake it quite vigorously before popping it and pouring it fairly rapidly into a glass. I think that's the way I do it. Yeah, I think that's most people's routine. Um, this is the first time uh, the Magic Christmas Unicorn has been released as a nitro what the uh, uh, is there was there um what was the discussion around that how'd that all pan out so we've um we've uh, we've done it on nitro in the past but just in kegs yeah so um we, we haven't done it in pack before but we um this is the first year these beers have been in cans so i think that was definitely a consideration that like there, there are one or two breweries that have tried to do nitro in bottles but it, it, i don't know if any that have been that successful with it um, so when when putting in cans this year for the first time, that definitely gave the option to to, to add the nitro gas as a, uh, in in the cans. Um, and yeah, I think with this style of beer, with the lactose and the vanilla um, and the ice cream kind of you know character that we're going for with this beer, I think nitro was definitely something to consider and and, and adds to that kind of ice cream kind of flat flavor and that cream ale kind of character. Jimmy, is there technical? challenges in in doing that or is it mainly on the on the packaging side that have to that have to deal with it all um yeah definitely there's challenges there we go definitely there's challenges with it um nitrogen doesn't doesn't get absorbed into the beer as easily so it's Mm. a lot harder to carbonate the beer with the nitrogen um and so even for example, if you if you were just to carbonate the beer as we would with a keg and get it all ready and it looked awesome and we were happy with it, um, and then put it in a can, that tiny tiny little headspace, so much of that nitrogen comes out of solution that the beer is just completely flat. So, um, on top of trying to get it absorbed into the beer, then when you're packaging with the cans or or for other people who might do bottles, um, there's liquid nitrogen that goes into that headspace, which gets absorbed into the beer over time. So after you've packaged it, you leave it for seven to 10 days and make sure that's all ready to go. And 
that comes back to the reason why you're shaking the beer before you pour it to make sure that extra nitrogen, which has all come out of solution because it just doesn't like to be in there, um, gets back into the beer um, before you pour it into your glass. Um, uh, just sorry. Yeah, go on, David. Go. Oh, yeah, we have a whole range of people here in terms of their knowledge of the systems and how the processes work. What does it actually mean to use nitrogen in a brewery? Like, how do you do it? For someone who's never seen it before, what does it look like? <laughs> uh, what does it look like? It comes in a bottle that looks exactly like any other bottle of gas. Uh, it just has different gas in it. Um, I think just the, the process behind using it is, is different, but, um, yeah. Some people think it looks like, sort of, you know, great cascading clouds of dry ice or something like that. But when it's, when it's liquid that, uh, you get the dry ice, but 70% of it yeah. is nitrogen. So we're, we're all looking at it right now. We just can't see it. <laughs> so when, um, honestly, when you're packaging, when you're canning the beer and they're putting that liquid nitrogen into the top of the can, there is a cloud of cloud of nitrogen going across the floor and coming out of the bottle and, all through the brewery, so I guess that does look pretty cool. Do you feel like you're in Swan Lake or something, which I imagine must have been one of your uh, you know, reasons for getting into brewing? You know, just... I mean, the beer itself is full of unicorns and clouds and Swan mm. Lake and dancing yep. and prancing. That's, that's pretty much all we do every day. That's the answer I was looking for. Jimmy, what's the story behind um, behind the the magical Christmas unicorn? Like, is there a <laughs> apart from all the unicorns and the the dancing? Well, apart from the magic, I don't know much else. I might pass that off to Ben. This beer originated before I started at Bridge Road. I'm not sure exactly how many years ago. Um, when I started, there was just nitrogen and unicorns and clouds everywhere. Um, yeah, the, the, this beer, the original version of this beer was made for a, uh, a one-off event and dinner at the Grain Store in Newcastle. Um, so really cool craft beer but bar in Newcastle. I think we did a Bridge Road um, Modus um, beer off uh, dinner. I think it was like seven course dinner. And we did a beer to match with each course. Modus uh, had a beer and we had a beer for each course. And uh, Corey, the owner of Grain Store, asked us to do a beer to go with the dessert. And um, I think Modus put their hand up to do like a Christmas pudding beer. And we had to do the, the brandy cream or the sauce to go with the, the pudding. So um, vanilla ice cream ale was uh, what we came up with. Um, I don't, I, we might have had some extra kegs and that's where... Um, just speaking rubbish in the in the office. Um, I think maybe I was being a little bit cynical about um, Christmas and Catholicism and uh, Santa Claus and 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 other things that uh, that people believe in. Um, so uh, unicorns are, are something that sort of fit the same realm in a in a in a roundabout way. Um, so we were trying to think of uh, a fun name for a beer that was coming out at Christmas time. That, um, yeah, I don't know. It was a random conversation. I wasn't drunk because it was morning, 
Um, but yeah, Magical Christmas Unicorn ended up being the name. And then we found when we released the beer in a broader release that it was a massive hit. And it really, you know, if I look at our two Christmas beers, Fat Man Red Suit, uh, Big Sack is very much a serious craft beer drinker's beer. You know, it's bitter, it's hoppy, it's boozy, it's it's big. You know, it's a beer to be um, to be appreciated and thought about. And then um, I sort of put the unicorn beer into the realm of stunt beer is what I'd call it. Um, so it's it's more much more about fun, much less about you know if you if you're rating this very seriously on Untapped, you need to go back and read the read the description on the label and just have a look at yourself. It's not a beer to be uh, to be taken too seriously. It's it's definitely a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so we found that this beer really opened the market up to a whole range of people that uh, that we probably found wouldn't have been interested in our beer previously, and we had people waiting and emailing and and hassling us for the release each year. Um, it's boozy, so it makes Christmas parties lots of fun. It opened Christmas parties up to it opened beer up to people at Christmas parties who probably. Um, drink too much and probably don't drink that much during the year, but go, go all out at the Christmas party. And we all know those people, um, you know, they've saved up all year and just, just go crazy because they're not used to going out. Um, and the fact that it's over 7% alcohol, is it still so high? What's the percent on the Yeah, but 7.2. Yeah. So it just, it just sends people um, a bit bonkers because if you find to that at the Christmas party, when you're excited and it's the end of the year and you just sat through Crofty, whinging about some guy getting a medal at work <laughs> found him out um the the um yeah we just found it was a really good fun beer and and having this one this year um you know people might want to dissect it and everything but for me we, we have a brief for every beer jimmy hasn't hasn't mentioned that but we have a specific brief um for what we're trying to achieve when we make a beer that it aligns throughout the business um and for me this beer smashes the brief like if you say this beer should taste like vanilla ice cream, I can. I just gave the kids a sip while they're having dinner um, or on the break, um, and I can say, "Hey, this beer tastes like vanilla ice cream," and that's what it tastes like. So, for me, job done. It's it, you know, there's discussions over whether I can drink this or whether it's drinkable. I hate lactose. Uh, for me, that's all. It doesn't matter. It tastes like as it should. And and there are for everyone that doesn't like this beer, there's someone that loves it. So, um, and, as much as yeah, sorry. I was say, as much as as much as you say it's a it's a fun beer and it's it's not you know you you don't want to drink it you know or you don't want to drink four pints of it I don't want to drink four pints of it we've still like had that design brief and sat down and done a shitload of trials and a whole heap of different um, experiments to make sure we get the balance and the flavors right that that we want in the beer so um, I think that. I don't know, I think it's just important to mention that that kind of differentiates from other just stupid fun beers that, mm. that might be out there. Um, we have, as much as we don't necessarily want to sit down and drink a bunch of pints of it at the Christmas party, we've still put that whole heap of work into making sure it tastes like what, you know, what the market that we're aiming for wants to drink, if that makes sense. That's one of the questions that I find interesting in terms of, sorry, Warren, I've cut a question. Where I do well. I, I struggle to find the right name for beers like this. So in our notes, we sort of refer to it as a novelty beer, but I, I don't like using that terminology because it, it's a bit disparaging. Um, 
Oh, it's fascinating. You know, some of these beers, there's so much thought and effort goes into them. And depending on what the label looks like, and as, uh, you know, Mark has pointed out, um, it's called a unicorn beer, and there's a bloody deer on the label. So, you know, <laughs> what's, what's that all about? Toby? You oh, must have done the labelling on that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I drew that label myself, so uh, I... <laughs> Um, that's a that's a cam question. We'll ask him. That's our. Uh, our it's a it's a deer with a, an ice cream smash onto its skull, so that makes it a, a unicorn. It was probably more clear in the previous iteration. There was a melted ice cream, um, which represented the unicorn sign on there. Glad we've solved that one. Yeah, just stuff that happens at Christmas time. <laughs> it's more to do with Jesus and Santa, though. I think. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to use the line that's in my head. <laughs> uh, just quickly, Ben, who won the uh, the brew off between you and, and Modus? I <laughs> uh, Grant had never admitted, so we'll just we'll just go with Grant. He has to win. Modus, you're a generous man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> go throw him a bone. Someone have to send him a link to that. <laughs> Um, oh, I'm, I'm stuck now. Um, I was going to throw in, I know we normally do this a little bit later, but I felt like throwing in our regular, uh, our regular cool room question a little bit early. Um, yeah, just to, just because, yeah, we were talking fun and unicorns. So <laughs> the traditional cool room question What's the most strange or weird or confronting thing you have seen in a cool room? Now, we've over the journey, we've, we've stretched it out. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a cool room. But in, in the world of beer making and drinking and breweries and hospitality. So the strangest thing you've seen. Who would like to kick off? I think Toby should. <laughs> The rep always, the, the rep normally cops it first. <laughs> um, I, I, so I worked uh, in bars for about 12 years or so. So before I started uh, repping for Bridge Road, I was, I was running a bar. So um, I've seen some pretty wacky stuff in Corinth. Which bar and where? Yeah. Come on. Uh, so I worked in pubs all over London. Uh, I worked for Open Door when I first got here. And then I worked at the local tap house in St Kilda for about six and a half years. Um, what was your favourite place in London to have a drink? We used to ask these questions all the time. So I didn't have any money when I was living in London because I was a bartender. So uh, anywhere that I knew the Oh, bartender. I know that feeling, yeah. That doesn't mean you didn't drink. Yeah, I know. So anywhere that I knew the bartender would be the answer to that question. Yeah. <laughs> anywhere I didn't have to pay. Um, but the uh, yeah, weirdest thing I've seen in the court, I mean, I've... To be boring, I've seen, I've walked in on two people going at it in a courtroom once. No, that's uh, the kind of thing. That's, that's a rite of passage, I think, working in a bar. Um, this is how these discussions always start. It starts with a couple of those and then an explosion and then someone really tells the story of what happened in the courtroom. Um, other weird thing, I once walked into a courtroom to find that the whole of my kitchen stock was now in my beer courtroom because uh, the courtroom... An explosion? Oh, the, oh, the the cooler had blown. Um, the 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 refrigerated unit had blown in the uh, in the other fridge. So they'd literally the, the chef had realised this and moved every single bit of food item into our beer core room, which was balanced all over stuff. And so I walked into a core room just full of food. So that was pretty random. 
Oh, like right. an explosion, yeah. Nothing exploded. Uh, I've, 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 I mean, I've, I've come into a, a, a quorum full of beer across the floor as well, as everyone who's worked in a quorum at some point has, as a keg has, has leaked everywhere all over the quorum. What was the most expensive keg you've ever seen sort of leaked across a quorum floor? Not sure. I mean, I, I bought some expensive kegs at my time in the local. I think the most ever paper keg was a 30 litre keg that cost me a grand. Whoa. Oh, yeah, that's great. What was that? It was a barrel-aged beer out of the States that had been imported. I couldn't remember exactly what it was, but I remember the price and having to justify it to my boss. So. <laughs> I remember letting my staff, when I had a place up in Kensington, just they could pick their own beer. Zoe, who we love dearly, she picked a Nurnia, uh, sort of, you know, aged, you know, thing. that was, I think, uh, the best bit of a gram for 50 litres, admittedly. And it took us about, well, we didn't, we didn't end up selling it. I just took it off because it wasn't being, it wasn't fresh in the end. No, man. What a waste. What about, what about you, Jimmy? What have you seen in the courtroom in Beechworth? What's the worst thing you've seen? I'm not sure. Let's see. So this kind of follows on from talking about the nitro on Unicorn. Um, when I first started at Bridge Road, we did, I can't remember if it was Unicorn, but did our first Nitro beer. Um, and I don't know if, where are we? You can see, can anyone? <laughs> you got that video up? Yeah. That's me trying to get some Nitro into a keg so that we can have a Nitro beer on tap. <laughs> It doesn't explode, does it? No. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Ben, what about all the, all the way over in Austria? What's the most confronting thing? We, we had uh, Matthias from Weinstefana on a couple of months ago, and he's Austrian, and he expressed great disappointment in the beer lines uh, and the cleanliness thereof. That was the most confronting thing he'd ever seen as an Austrian uh, in a cool room. That's out. That sounds pretty, uh, pretty, pretty right. Um, that, but that is, you know, he'd probably seen a, uh, a dead body in a cool room, but having a dirty beer line was fun. It really was. It was that. <laughs> it was so beautifully stereotypical. There, there, there aren't that that much in Austria where I was. You put beer in the cellar, not in a cool room. Um, so. I, I don't think there's that much cool room for more for food. Um, I do remember at a bar we worked at uh, that I worked at in Austria back in probably 2000. Um, we used to, I was sent, we uh, worked as a, a bussy and um, I used to get sent to, we got lunch, you get fed uh, at the place you work and I was sent to the cool room a few arvos to, um, to grab uh, grab some cakes and things from. We worked, We ran a, an umbrella bar. It was an apreski bar that was hugely popular. Um, uh, Twelve kegs in four hours, along with a shot with three beer. Was the turnover was massive in the short amount of time. Um, and I was sent to get um, some snacks from the cool room, which may or may not have been authorised food for us after. <laughs> but before we started our shift, we'd always grab some stuff, and there was cakes in the cool room. That beautiful Austrian cakes. And the door was locked one day and I couldn't get into the door of the rear of the, the hotel. Um, and there was a window uh, probably eight foot off the ground, a little um, crawl through window. 
I'm sure it's not to crawl through, but I managed to crawl through it. And, uh, it was right in front of the cool room door and I jumped through the window and as I hit the floor, I stood up and the, the guy who owned the hotel was uh, stepping out of the cool room and saw me land on the floor through the window and, uh, and said good day and asked what he's doing, what I was doing. I just told him, I said, oh, they sent me to come and get some cakes from the cool room. And he goes, okay. And then just walked off and then there I was, I just broke into his hotel and something. <laughs> Did 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 the did could you continue having cakes after the the? <laughs> I think they just unlocked the door after that. <laughs> were they good cakes? Like, yeah, it was, it was, I, yeah Austrian. That was cakes. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's a yeah, cakes are good. Sometimes they put too much fruit and shit on top. They just scrape that off and get to. <laughs> so no one's gone with. So when we had Sierra Nevada on. They sort of did an admission of like when they reversed the wrong valve in the wrong way and accidentally collapsed due to inverse pressure, a large fermenter and 200 grand's worth of beer. No one's ever done that in this organisation. You know, you know, games, I'm looking at you. you Not yet. No, not yet. I'm working on it. It's a big effort. (laughs) <laughs> so quickly Clean Benny, there's, a, there's another oh. Paul who, um, who's a brewer for us now used to work in the, in the bar and um, if the guys weren't cleaning the fob monitors which is a foam on beer monitor on the, on the keg well um, it basically has a valve in it that allows the, the air or the CO2 out of the line and allows the liquid to flow through so there's a float um, that sinks when there's air and floats when there's beer there um, and sometimes that would get sticky and you, uh, it would push beer to the drain. Um, and I think after two weeks of uh, kissing 50-litre kegs goodbye, I did threaten Paul, who's, uh, who's a great member of staff now. If another one goes down the, the drain uh, this week, you know, two's okay, uh, one's bad, two's not great, three is uh, three strikes and you're out. Um, and Paul went home and rather than make sure the lines were clean and, and, and have confidence that he would double check they're not leaking every time he changed a keg, he bought a kit online and made a battery-operated float valve alarm that would, uh, in, a, in a Tupperware container, that actually... This is the story we want. This is the story we've got there. Is that thing that Paul built still there? It's story. Do you want me to, do you want me to show you? I can go oh, and look at it. There's, please. There's, yeah, go on. Yeah, <laughs> really. So, so uh, rather um, than, and, and it's a total different way than I'd solve the problem. So yeah. rather than saying, right, I want to make sure I don't, I'm not responsible for sending a beer down the drain, he built an alarm system with battery. And it looks like Lego fittings, um, but it was super effective. So it has a float, a float in it that switches the... Uh, the alarm on if uh, beer overflows out of the keg beyond 500 mils. That's it's really loud and actually works. So he's still got a job and now he's a brewer. He he moved from the bar into uh, Jimmy's right hand man four years after that. Where are we? Here we go. Have you got me? Have you got the video? Can you see? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Where's uh, this where little thing sitting on the ledge? <laughs> there it is. There. It's a full of gunk. Yeah, it's full of gunk. A little bit. It's about to go off. So Tupperware container, overflow valve, and uh, and a battery-operated piercing alarm. The alarm for a little battery, it's just hooked up to a battery. 
you know, if the battery goes flat, he loses his job. So I hope he's changing, changing. <laughs> it still goes off regularly. And what I love about that is, it, so this, what we love about the core is a very real experience. <laughs> a very real experience. Like someone's entire, you know, livelihood is based on that little machine we just saw there. <laughs> I love the. And that there, there is there is a certain type of genius there. Uh, there yeah, just, yeah. That lateral thinking, the the just the ingenuity to put it together, that's... and the lack of trust in oneself to to do the job properly. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to build the robot that that helps me. That's technology. That's huge. It's like to understand your 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 yeah, limitations is amazing, and to then and then fix and then find a way to fix it. That's that's gold. That is gold. Um, yeah, right. Should we move on to the last beer of the night? Much as yeah, I, I, re- I think so too. Yeah, I reckon so. I've just got to go grab it. That was great, guys. I I love that story. That's the podcast is about those kind of stories. Yeah, and I'm fascinated too how how cool the uh, Austrian seller is. And sorry, Crofty, we didn't get to your unicorn quest. Your 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 battle of the unicorns. Oh no, I think we'll, we'll do some of those in the Q and A at the end. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, the battle of the unicorns. I had a more. I had an even nastier, or not nastier, a sillier question than that about it. So, could you mix them together? Was my one. <laughs> the chocolate and the vanilla. We could probably do it at the brewery right now. Because the East one one was brewed just before lockdown in Melbourne, so I know a few cakes got sent back. (laughs) Oh, really? I don't think there's definitely... I think they've all gone. I think they've all gone. Actually, there's... There's CO2 carbonated unicorn and no, so there's no nitro, but the two two CO2 versions are on tap. <laughs> but even just the chocolate, I was just sort of going with chocolate with vanilla with nitro. I could see that working. I love mixing beers together. It's one of my favourite things. So, <laughs> um, go Warren Wu. Oh, is it me? All right, <laughs> great. Um, Toby, we might, since we're in the habit of, of picking on you because you're, <laughs> you're, you're very quietly like holding your piece in the background. Um, so this beer's titled volume one. Is it going to be part of a series? I'm assuming we, we're, we just assumed it's part of a series, but yeah, what's the, what's the idea behind the series and what's, what's going to happen in volume two? It'd be pretty confusing if there was no volume two. Yeah, yeah, that would really, that, yeah. But then again, <laughs> breweries have done much, much sillier <laughs> things. So, yeah, I think, you know, uh, like I'm sure we've all we've all drunk quite a few recently. There's there's definitely like people experimenting with hops and and playing with hops and 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 
we've talked a lot about balance and Bridge Road, like we, we really like making balanced beers, but there's mm. definitely a time and a place for an unbalanced beer. And this one is, is that. Yep. Um, so new volume one, it's, it's about just experimenting with different hop combinations and, and, and maybe following trends a little bit more. We, we, we try and lead trends, but sometimes you just gotta accept that, you know, yeah. that there's popular stars on the market and, and we should have a crack at them. And uh, so uh, we've been talking for a long time about, about, about need and, uh, and finally the time came to, to make it and I think it's great. So, um, it's a really honest response, can I say, which I really like because we've spoken to so many brewers from around the world this year and often they go, oh no, we always wanted to do one of these. And we often ask the question, which we didn't ask tonight deliberately, you know, are you being market-led or are you trying to do your own thing? And it's actually okay to go, well, this is what the market's drinking, but how do we do our own style on that? So I guess... I think if you, if you think that hazy beers are going anywhere and hazy IPAs are going anywhere, you're just kidding yourself. Like, you know, it's, it's gone past just being a phase or, or a trend. Um, they're, they're obviously popular for a reason. Um, and you've got breweries that do nothing but them. So, you know, there's, there's definitely a, a place for Bridge Road to get involved in that. Like, you know, we, we've made hundreds of beers over the last 15 years and, and we, you know, there's, there's, there's no reason why we shouldn't get involved in, in, in beers like this. I think this is, this is a cracker. Um, it's one of my favorite beers we've made this year. Um, so, yeah. so Jimmy, when, when you get the brief, like now we're gonna do a hazy, how do you sort of approach that question of like, you know, again, a bit like to go back to where we started with the pale ale. There's all of these ones that are already in the market. How do you try to put your flavour on this? Yeah. Um, represent Ben's flavour on this, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, to start with, I don't say I want to do a hazy. That's, you know, that's sales and marketing say we should do a hazy. Yeah, no, I understand and, that. And then, and then I say, well, why, why the fuck should it be hazy? I don't want to be hazy. <laughs> if, yeah. if I can make it bright, can it be bright? <laughs> the answer is yes. This is a question, you know, like yeah. for me, I don't know, you, like it's hazy, yet you still get, you still get people jump on untapped and say, oh, you can't call that a hazy. It's not. There's no sludge in the bottom of the glass. Um, doesn't, doesn't like no anyway. <laughs> That's a whole different discussion. So, you you read untapped? You, you oh, sometimes. Some I try to avoid it because it's uh, it's a little it's a it's a bit infuriating sometimes. But back to the question: How do, that sort of notion of how much feedback is too much feedback? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but how do I put our my spin or Bridge Road spin, Ben spin, whatever you want to call it, um, on a hazy beer? I guess you look at the, the the range of hops we use. You've got Mosaic, Sabro, Galaxy, Eldorado. Um, we kind of talked about it, and <clears throat> initially the discussion was around using the three, so Mosaic, Sabro, and Galaxy, um, and you know making it hazy and all this and big and juicy and whatever. I go away and look at those hops and you've got citrus, coconut citrus, you've got passion fruit citrus, you've got a whole lot of, um, so that's that's the mosaic Sabro Galaxy, you've got a whole lot of really, really dominant high, um, high notes in those hops. Um, so I, I look at the beer and come back and say, I really want 
to add El Dorado to that um, in a in a reasonable quantity because you've got more of those tropical tropical notes, stone fruit, um, big broad, um, you know, melony tropical sort of notes to to round out that beer. So I think that's in a way kind of sums up how we put our own spin on it by trying to make a balance. So I'm not not happy to make a beer that that's going to be really one dimensional or, um, you know, doesn't, doesn't really fit. So if you use those original hops and then you use the malt base that we wanted to use, you've got, you've got two separate things that don't meld together um, by adding those, those other hops in and, and really choosing the quantities that you want to use and, and really melding it, making it balanced, making it work with ABV, making it work with the malt, making it, um, just making it really enjoyable to drink. Um, yeah, it's probably, probably the way that I'd say that we, or I like to use, to use those ingredients and make it different to what other people are doing. Ben, we spoke earlier about you having a chat to, to a few guys, uh, who, who have a connections to wine. So the Hop Nation guys and Wildflower, uh, it, and there was a you had a discussion with them about natural wine and that direction. Is there from what Jimmy's just been talking about? Is there also a little bit of that same feeling amongst? Um, is it is is the feeling with hazies for you for for you guys or for Jimmy the same as what what uh, some winemakers feel about natural wines and you know cloudy cloudy booze, uh, stuff which, which is just re- super low intervention? Oh, no, I think I would say that they're really different. Um, the, you know, the, the, the comparison of natural wine um, and if you, if you had to draw a comparison with beer is, is wild fermentation. So, so um, you know, um, sorry, I've got someone joining me. <laughs> Nah. He's a beer fan, so he's seen the beer. And uh, yes, so no, I would see that more as, um, you know, the, the natural wine's fitting much more with it. He's, you're going to get a full frontal nude shot here, so uh, watch out. What are you doing, though? I don't think it's the first time on the podcast. <laughs> um, no, but it's, but he's in lockdown I, life, so yeah. close a, 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 a very, which is uh, all day no close. I mean, in Wings terms on the carpet too often. Uh, the na- the natural side of of how they're brewed, and you know, people getting into wild ferment beers, seems more to be a hark back to the past, and they're like a pretty accepted. It's not they're hard to mark. They're a lot hard to market. It's hard to get people into natural ferment beers. But in terms of how how old school winemakers will feel like like a lot of the natural wine is is simply marketing yeah and and the way and you and i guess you're you're saying old school beer makers and how they feel about it i i I don't know i i think you know like in in any style of beer there's there's really great examples and there's less great examples of the beer so there's some awesome hazes out there that i can really get around and then there's others that and, and the same goes for any beer style that you come across um i think what is you know the the some, sometimes can be frustrating perhaps for the bridge road crew is that um, sometimes balance really matter because we focus on, on, on balance so much and, 
and nuanced flavors. And if you look at our Mayday Hills series of beers and, and you know, some of those beers I really rate as some of the better beers I've had in Australia when, you know, if I can talk up our own beers is, mm. is nuanced balance and, and subtle integration of fruits into beer. But when we look at the market and how things sell, and, and you talk about um, the marketing of, of, a, of a wild fermented beer that's all about complexity and textures and, and nuances and, and structure, there's so much to take in. Whereas the market, if you just jam a ton of, uh, of raspberries in a beer, mm. the consumer is really enjoying things that are obvious. And I think that's what pushes the hazy trend. You know, these beers are like the need is obviously hoppy. It's obviously boozy. It's obviously big. Um, so people are, uh, are able to identify it. I think that that's probably a lot of the success of a beer like Stone and Wood Pack Ale. You can give that beer to someone and it is obviously passion fruit. It is obviously tropical. It's the same with New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc in a pub. You don't need to be educated about right. Absolutely right. That, yeah. that wine tastes, smells fruity and you can... You can identify a flavour and you can talk about it and then you feel empowered and, and, and really get into it. And yeah, I, absolutely. I think maybe, you know, there might be sometimes some frustrations when, when you put some efforts into creating a really balanced drink and, and then someone says, oh, it doesn't taste like this or it doesn't taste like that, which is mm. why, you know, brewers should stay away from, from forums. But, you know, everyone's <laughs> opinion is valid, but, but those forums give you an opportunity to see people's opinions and, and just because you don't agree with them doesn't mean it's not valid. I mean, they're the people spending their money on the beer. So um, you have to be able to, to listen to what people want and, and deal with it. But, but I think, you know, the part of the draw for the hazy beers is the obviousness of them. Those beers that are really popular are so obviously hoppy and so obviously big and so obviously lush. And it doesn't give, give time for nuanced and subtlety and, and textural um, differences so maybe you know maybe that's a frustration but you know you, you can't you can't you know sit there with your you know frown on your face and say i wish people understood it more either you have to educate them and show them or, or you should um join along and, and give them beers that are obvious and they can get around and then maybe bring them across to to things that are more subtle and well integrated in the, in the future i think you can do both I was going to say, I probably, probably also misrepresented myself there a little bit in the way that... Um, <laughs> Sorry, what, Jim. No, what, I might have misrepresented you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what I'm saying, if, you, if you've got a hazy beer that, um, you know, you've used a bunch of high-protein malts and a shitload of hops and it, and it binds together and you've got a haze with this stable, that's awesome. And that's an awesome beer. Um, but if you're making making a beer and adding haze because it wasn't hazy enough, what's the point? You know, like if I if I was to make if I was to make this beer crystal clear, but it tasted, you know, if you were blindfolded, it tasted exactly the same. Is it is it as good? Is it not? I don't know. Okay. It comes back to what Ben was saying about educating people and um, making sure they understand what's going on. Like with um, with so the the haze is educating be, people around the haze is going to be a byproduct. It's not necessarily the goal is to make a hazy beer. It's if you brew a beer with this body using these this malt bill and these hops, the result will be hazy. Yeah, like it's it's it's, yeah, it's, it's not, not the aim. 
Yeah, exactly. So every I'm sorry to cut across you there, man. I'm going to move things along a little bit because you guys have already been incredibly generous with your time. Uh, There's a couple of people in the room with us who uh, want to ask questions, and that's the beauty of being in the Zoom room on a Thursday night with us. You get to um, ask questions of the brewers and the owners and people who've made this leap into the world that so many of us want to exist in, which is owning a brewery and making beers. And um, Jane, you've made a very sensible decision not to make that leap, but you want to ask a question. So I'm going to unmute you, hopefully successfully, and I'm going to keep talking until... Oh, there you go. Hopefully... All right. So, hello... Bridge Road boys. Um, so last year for Christmas, my, my sister bought me a range of the Mayday Hills beers. Um, and if she's listening, I really want some more, especially the Hoppy Sour. Um, and I'm just wondering why, um, what, what prompted the leap to the, um, the offshoot label? That's a bad question. <laughs> um. So the, the Mayday Hills label, um, that was prompted by, I think, 05, 2005. I'm guessing again, I don't know time. I'm old and blurry. Um, we were invited to go to the Firestone Walker Festival in, in California and also lined up a, um, a token tap takeover at McAllabar in San Francisco. Um, and I took the family and we did a road trip uh, from San Francisco to San Diego, uh, collaborated with, uh, with Stone, just name dropping um, at, their, at their brew pub down there um, and did the Firestone Walker Festival. And um, on the back of that, I also did a trip to Florida to um, the Shelton Brothers Festival in St. Petersburg. And on both trips, I, I got to enjoy um, beers fermented with Britannomyces that weren't the same as beers that I'd had using Britannomyces from, from Europe or Belgium um, in that, or, or maybe barrel-aged Brett, Brett beers in that they weren't dirty and, and didn't have those typical um, farmyard, barnyard Brett characters that I'd seen from Brett beers in the past. Um, and I looked into it. We went to, we spent a bit of time when I was at Shelton Brothers Festival drinking at a brewery called Green Bench Brewing in St. Petersburg. Um, and Shelton Brothers, for those who don't know it, I think they um, unfortunately went into liquidation after after COVID this year. Um, but they were responsible for bringing uh, Cantillon to fame in the States. And they have a an amazing suite of um, distribution of farmhouse beers. So... Um, being at the festival, we had access to the best farmhouse brewers in America and the world at the same time. So it was really good to mingle with those guys and, and have beers. And I, I came across a, a beers that I was really enjoying. Um, the other half brewery in New York was sort of on the back of that trip as well. Um, and I found beers fermented with Britannomyces that were really lush and, and um, textural and a lot like Saison um, and weren't at all farmhousey and stinky. Um, and they tended to be fermented in uh, oak fooders. Um, and I found a, a manufacturing um, company from America who were making the fooders. Um, the brewers that I enjoyed were all using those same oak tanks, oak fermenters, and 
Um, once I got home, I ordered one of the fermenters and uh, got it shipped over to Australia and, and with the idea of um, having that sub-brand of Mayday Hills. And that was about creating a beer that represents um, where we are. Mayday Hills was the name of Beechworth before it was called Beechworth. And it talks more about not just the town, but the the hills around the town. So the idea is that we, we use inspiration from locals in the area or use ingredients from the local area to, to create new beers. And pretty much every beer has been unique. The Hoppy Sour is one that we make year round, but every every other release, I might be wrong, Jimmy, have we released anything twice? Raspberry IPA was done twice. Okay. Uh, everything else has been unique. Oh. So, so, so when was, was that, the first Mayday Hills um, release? There was, there was a launch party for it and we had a bit of and it's called Yeeha and it was no. a hoppy uh a hoppy Brett Pale Ale um 2014, 15, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so sorry, I said 2005. I should have said 2014. I reckon we've got one more question from the crowd at least. And uh Crofty, are you in there? Can I try and unmute you? Oh, we unmuted yourself, you bastard. I'm, I'm here. That's the benefits of being a co-host, apparently. <laughs> Good work. So, so I, I did ask the question, which came first, the uh, Easter or the Christmas unicorn. But um, on on that on that vein, though, they're two completely different colour and, I believe, style beers. Um, uh, what's, what's the different base styles, I guess, underneath those two beers as well? James, answer a question. Over to you, Jimmy. Um, oh, base styles of those beers, unicorns, both unicorns. I think we just like say. bastardizing Christian um, Bullets. That's the theme. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. The I base, like of, the base of the unicorn is a is a gold nail, <laughs> rough, heavily high temperature for men. <laughs> Big booze. Um, that's that's been with um, vanilla and, and, and lactose um, to give that creaminess and also the vanilla character. And the, the um, East Unicorn is, you know, trying to be milk chocolate, um, Cadbury, dodgy, dodgy chocolate, eggs flavour. So I guess a, a porter or a dark ale is the base. Probably a porter is the like base a, for the East Unicorn. I was going to say like a, a brown a brown porter or something, but... Um, it's hard for both of them, hard to fit into any specific style, I guess. Like the the EC Unicorn especially, it would be, yeah, like that lighter lighter style of porter. But there's so many, so many chocolate malts. Like there's no other, you know, if you were to try and judge it within a category, it doesn't really exist. Yeah, but, but I guess one's a porter, one's a gold nail, and then everything else gets laid later. Yeah. I guess they're both classified as pastry beers. If you, if you think ice cream flavors. I don't know what the definition of pastry beer is, but I assume lactose and um, something with lots of lactose added. I believe. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. the, the technical the definition. All right. Now, I reckon, my good friends, we're going to wrap up the formal uh, recording 
portion of this about now. I'm immensely grateful for the fact that we've been here having a chat about beers for two hours. Um, even there's no normal place in any sort of you know bar and bottle shop where you can sit around and talk to the three of you like this, you know, in a in a setting like this. Um, and the bizarre thing is that if you were on the uh, podcast with us tonight, joining us live in the Zoom room, you could ask your own questions. And um, Mr. Warren Wu, let's let you take us out for 2020, man. Yeah. Thanks very much to all three of you from from Bridge Road. This has been this has been a really fascinating chat, and they're great beers. And hopefully, you guys will be around for a lot lot longer because yeah, the quality of beers that that you've you've blessed us with is absolutely amazing. Um, and for twenty twenty, good riddance. Uh, <laughs> there's been a lot of there's been a lot of amazing things that have happened, but for the most part, it's been a bit rubbish. Uh, but the, on the positive, this has been this has been uh, a fun little Thursday night activity. And uh, as David said before, thank you to all the guests. And uh, I hope everyone out there has a very, very great Christmas and a fantastic New Year. And we'll see you next year with more more breweries. And yeah, once again, thanks guys from Bridge Road. Thank you. Thanks, thanks to, to Toby for thank getting you. organised and uh, thanks for, to Jimmy for making the great beer. He's the one <laughs> making it. So. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, I'm going to go see if the apartment's on fire. <laughs>